It was spring break of, I'm going to say, my sophomore year of college. I was living 1,200 miles away from home. It was certainly not cost-efficient for me to go back for the week, and so I was going to hang around the dorm. And then my best friend Chad at the time invited me to come along with him and his father to go spend a long weekend at a little cabin they had at a place called Arrowhead Lake somewhere in central Wisconsin. And so happily, I went along. I got to spend quality time with my friend, and I got to spend quality time with my friend's dad, Dick, who was just an awesome human being. And for a whole day at the cabin, we had a grand old time, spending time outdoors, shooting the breeze, talking smack to one another, just having a good old guy time out in the woods. And then the second day, Chad and I stopped really talking to one another. I don't remember what the source of the argument, what the breakdown was at that point, but I still remember just being really, really annoyed with him, and he was really, really annoyed with me, and by day three, we had retreated to our separate corners, and we weren't talking at all. We were just kind of grumbling and grunting, meh. And that night, after a dinner with absolutely no conversation, Dick walked into the living room where we were sitting in our separate corners with his jacket on and said, put your coats on, boys, get in the truck. We're going shining. Now, I had no idea what shining was. But Dick Kopensky said, get in the truck, so by God, we were getting in the truck. And so we drove out in the dark of night along the trails in the woods around the cabin at Arrowhead Lake. And occasionally, he would stop. He had a little kind of police-style spotlight on the corner of the passenger window that he could turn around and he would shine it off into the woods. I didn't know what he was looking for. And Jesus said, we're looking for deer. We're going to find them by the glow in their eyes. And so every so often, he would stop by the side of the road and shine the light off to one side or another, trying to catch the reflection of those deer eyes. And the woods were dense, and we really couldn't see much until we got to a point where there was a clearing and a hill headed up no trees. And Dick shined his spotlight off to that side, into that glen, up that hill. And the whole hill lit up with the reflection of eyes of deers, countless of them. They had settled in for the night. And they were all watching us wary because there was a truck in the middle of their, their sleeping arrangements. And we stopped there for I don't know how long, just watching the eyes of the deers reflect back at us. And it got quiet. And all of the, the, the crankiness and the annoyance started to just kind of drift away, at least from my body. And we could all feel it 
in the truck too. And once that had all dissipated, Dick Kapensky, Kapensky turned around and said, there you go. Now don't you two feel just kind of stupid? <laughs> and yeah, yeah, we did. This is one of the uh, touchstone episodes of my life. This was actually the cornerstone of the very first sermon I ever preached in a church before I had even gone to seminary. It's one of those things I hang on to like a totem because it reminds me of what it feels like to pull my head out of my navel and reconnect with the world, to stop spiraling down into myself by experiencing a moment of awe and wonder. Now, these last few years have been a time of, I think, self-reflection for a lot of us, sitting alone with our thoughts, even if we are in a room with someone this time has given us a lot of time to look inwardly and start to think about what really matters in our lives. And that time is good, and that introspection is good. Self-reflection is needed from time to time so we can get back to those basics, get back to that knowledge of what it is that matters most to us and to our relationship with the world. But... And I don't know if the experience has been the same for all of you, but for me, certainly, as someone who is given to introspection at the drop of a dime, sometimes self-reflection layered on top of a feeling of isolation can start turning into self-absorption instead. The navel-gazing gets deep. I start falling into my own head and the wheels of my own brain a little too completely where, to the point where everything is shut out. But my own thoughts and the loops they make and the noise it makes. Post-COVID, and I had it back in June, the experience has, has solidified. All throughout the pandemic, I've said out loud, the brain fog is real, but I had no idea how real it was until I was actually in a time of recovery from the disease itself. And I was happy to see an article in the Washington Post a couple of weeks ago validating my experience and letting me know I was not alone in that. I described it the other day to some folks as feeling like my brain is made out of silly putty. And it takes a lot of effort to stretch that out into the world beyond me so I can have experiences and pay attention. Paying attention has become a chore. I have to really focus. I have to really force myself. Otherwise, what happens is I decide I need a cup of tea. I walk through the living room. I ask Jess if she wants one, too. She says yes. Four seconds later, I've completed my journey, and I'm just staring out the window at the front yard. Don't remember what I came into the room for. 
I started at times to have to narrate my own life to myself in real time so I can remember what it is that I'm doing, just walking to the kitchen going, tea, cup of tea, cup of tea, cup of tea. It takes work. My attention needs intention. Otherwise, the silly putty just does what it does and snaps back into shape and draws me back into myself. And then I'm alone with my own thoughts again, shutting out the world, listening to the thought loops that happen over and over again, listening to the white noise that likes to play in my brain when nothing else is going on. And if I stay there too long, I start to mistake the center of my own thoughts as the center of the universe, I get disconnected from my sense of connection to the world, to the true center of all things. What do I do in moments like this when attention takes intention and I'm prone to just falling back too deeply into my own interior world? What do I do? Get in the truck, we're going shining. Probably less effective here where the deer are so prevalent and they meet me outside in the mornings at breakfast time. The wonder kind of diminishes a bit. But the activity remains. We go out in search of wonder, of awe, when we start to get too wrapped up. Ethan Cross, who's a psychologist at the University of Michigan, defines awe and wonder as the feeling we get when we encounter something powerful, so powerful that we can't easily explain it. And I think it goes a little more than that. For me, wonder is an experience that reminds us that there is something bigger than me and all of us, something all-encompassing and the sense of that bigness, the sense of that all-encompassing whatever, rather than making me feel small and insignificant and one leaving me to wonder whether or not I matter in the scheme of all things, instead, that bigness tells me I have a place in the grand scheme of things. I have a home within the vastness of all things, of all time and all space. And that all-encompassing something is always there to welcome me back when I forget where I was. Wonder brings us home. Now, this is not just me waxing rhapsodic about the place of wonder in the world. There's been research done on what happens when we go out and experience awe for ourselves and what it does to our mental health and our physical health. Research shows that cultivating moments of awe are key elements in refreshing our mental energies and releasing a lot of our anxiety in the world. They've done brain studies with fMRI machines showing people videos designed to instill moments of wonder in them and then scanning their brains and finding that 
the brain's activity in its default mode network, which is associated with our sense of rumination and interior self, that diminishes as we experience moments of awe and wonder. In one experimental group, people were asked to draw pictures of themselves and their relationship to the world, and they always were center of the page and rather large, filling up the page. And then, again, they would be showed similar videos designed to instill awe and wonder, and then they were asked to draw themselves again, and almost every time, people would draw themselves much smaller than they had before, a little off-center from the page. As we tap into the sense of something larger, our sense of self shrinks, and so does all the mental chatter that happens in that default mode network in our brains. We transcend our frame of reference by expanding our mental models and developing new ways of thinking by seeing ourselves differently in relationship to the world. Our awareness of the world around us expands the connections we lost sight of, are redrawn and re-highlighted. Our place in those connections is revealed to us once more. Wonder brings us home. David Fessel and Karen Ravich are a physician and a psychologist, respectively, whose whole business is going out to corporations and nonprofits to help groups work on their group skills of resilience and well-being. And this idea of cultivating moments of awe and wonder is key and central to the work that they do. They hand out strategies to corporate bodies and to individuals to cultivate those moments in daily life, to make them easier to find. And it could be as easy as this, starting off a meeting with your board of directors by asking, what took your breath away this week? Asking you to think about something differently before we do the business in the room, seeing outside yourself. It could be sharing personal photos with one another of things that bring you a sense of awe and talking about that. And on an individual level, it could be as easy as taking an awe walk. Going out into the neighborhood, maybe walking a path you walk every day and intentionally focusing enough outside of yourself to see things differently, to see things anew. Maybe go out walking with your dog and see what the neighborhood looks like to the dog. A whole different path opens up and you see things differently. Better still, doing it out in nature, untouched by civilization perhaps, taking an awe walk, getting a sense of the power of nature around you, reminding yourself that the rhythms of nature are something we are part of too that we are part of a natural world and not just our own interiors. Awareness expands 
connections are redrawn. Our place in those connections is revealed once again. Wonder brings us home. Like the hope I spoke of last week, wonder requires our participation. Our attention needs intention. I got to drag on that silly putty a lot in order to stay connected to the world around me. And it's a struggle to stretch that stuff out, but the struggle has value for itself because the rewards of the effort are immeasurable in what they do for us body and mind and soul. And it doesn't require us to have a pickup truck with a spotlight attached to it, although that is an awesome metaphor for what I am talking about here. Making time to get into a vehicle that's not just your body, having some kind of thing to hang on to that forces you to focus on specific things. Practicing with intention the focus of our own intention on the world around us. Shine the spotlight where you know you are fed as a soul, as a whole person. Now that looks different for everybody, I'm sure. But for me, it looks often like once in a while pulling over to the little overwork overlook on the main hill road and taking a look out over that vista and reminding myself that I've always wanted to live in the mountains and a landscape like that because I feel at once small in the face of everything and yet so strongly grounded that I know I have a home there. Or it could be a small thing as just watching a video of an artist at work, watching them create something beautiful, how their hands work. That's my jam right now. I'm especially into woodworking videos right now, especially people who uh, do the art of Japanese joining, cutting all those intricate notches and tabs to hang wood together just by its own power and these beautiful patterns. Or maybe it is connecting with the deer. I've got to admit, as much as I joke, it diminishes here because they are so prevalent. When you've got one in particular who keeps coming back to see you in the morning, it changes your perspective on things. One who doesn't seem afraid of you. One who wants to take a couple of steps towards you. So I step back because I don't want to get into it. But having those quiet moments in the morning with a piece of nature that I'm at once alien from and so connected to, looking into one another's eyes as we stand still saying, well, here we are, sharing space, two blips on a pale blue dot, that's us, yep. What were you worried about before you walked out the door? How long the drive through line was going to be about Starbucks? Well, don't you feel just stupid. Yeah, the brain fog is real. And the world, sure enough, gives us plenty of reasons to want to retreat into our own internal lives. And it is so, so easy to disconnect from everything and get to the point where we might mistake 
our own interior world for the center of the universe. But before we disappear ourselves, stop a moment and take the time to cultivate just one moment of awe in the world, however grand, however small it might be. Start your day perhaps by just asking yourself, what is taking my breath away right now? What is taking my breath away? The center of all things will do the rest. The center will call us back to our place and welcome us in time and time again, no matter how many times we forget. Wonder brings us home. Maybe so.